Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. What's the favorite color of a dad when he answers the phone? Yellow. All right, that, that one was okay. This one was the one I liked. You ready? I just spent $1,000 to put a new front door in my house. Now I have a grand entrance. <laughs> All right. You ever had a moment that, man, it was like, this is the moment. This is awesome. It was followed by a total letdown. You know, like um, new job. I got a new job. Yeah, I got a new job. And then I showed up and realized I got a new job. How about this one? You newly married. Ah, you newly married, and then you realize I'm married to a human. <laughs> How about a new child? I remember this. We brought our first baby home from the hospital, and we put her. She was in a little car seat, and we set her in the middle of the living room. And Rob and I looked at each other, and we're like, "Now what?" I should have sent her back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> should have sent them all back. No, anyway. No, no. Uh, how about you buy a new home? I, um, years ago, I built my house. Um, the only way I could afford a house was to build it. It's me doing a lot of the work, so we built the house. And, and then I moved in, and I'm like, wow, these things require a lot of work, you know? You got to mow the grass, the more cost, and yeah, anyway. So the purpose of today's message is to talk to you about what do you do when the reality hits after the thrill? Um, on our story today, we're going to focus from the book of Luke. We're in the book of Luke for the next 90 days. I'm encouraging you to read through the book of Luke with us. It'd take you yeah, a few chapters a day, every day, for the next uh, 90 days. Actually, not even a few chapters, a few verses. I mean, a third of a chapter, you can do it. In, uh, in 90 days. So read through the book of Luke with us. Put a bookmark and just pick up where you left off and do that every week. The book of Luke for the next 90 days, we'll read through it. And um, so what I'm going to do is we're going to be preaching. All of our sermons are going to come out of stories from the book of Luke. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and 3. And I want to talk about this time where Jesus went through a really high high and went to a really low low. And here's what we want to learn. Here's our lesson. God is with us through both the highs and the lows. Your lesson to learn today is God is with us through the highs and lows. Little moment, can I just pastor for a second? Can I step out of Bible preacher and talk pastor to you? Um, and the reason I want to do this is because right, I struggle with my emotions. Anybody in the room like me? Yeah, I struggle with my emotions. About a dozen of you. Uh, I actually struggle with depression. Depression is one of those things that it comes on me sometimes. I did nothing and it comes on me. And I know how it feels. I know those feelings. And so I've, I've said something for years. What feeling do you trust? What feeling do you trust? None of them. You don't trust any feelings. Now, if you're feeling good, you enjoy it. If you're feeling bad, you ask yourself the questions, what's going on and how can I rectify this problem? But what do you trust? None of them. 
Because sometimes you feel bad and there's no cause for it. Sometimes you feel awesome and you shouldn't. All right. They're like, Come on, guys, wake up, help me out, or I'm going to preach until like 1 o'clock if you don't help me. Somebody say amen to prove to me you can. All right, there you go. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word today? Even though we're going to spend our time in Luke, I wanted to pull this scripture out of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. I want us to, want us to look at it today. Hebrews 2, 18, because he himself, speaking of Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to what? Everybody say it with me, all skate. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you all know what my favorite prayer is? It's a one-word prayer. Help! Maybe you don't pray like that, but I do. Uh, and I pray like that because sometimes that's the best prayer I can pray. Help! So, can we pray in honor of God's word? Let's say a prayer together. Help! Amen. All right, would you turn to somebody and give them a high five before you're seated today? <laughs> Smile at them. <clears throat> if you're joining us online, here's your high five. <clears throat> well, that was not good. I not scream these days, right? My rock and roll voice is gone. I never had it. There you go. All right. Two events we're going to talk to, two events in the life of Jesus. Start of his ministry, and these events happen right after the other, and we're going to look at the two of them. The first one is the high moment of his baptism. The baptism was a high moment. Um, Jesus was baptized uh, in the River Jordan by a guy named John the Baptist, and baptism had its purpose. What what John the Baptist was saying is, um, in those days, they had, baptism was actually practiced, but it was practiced only for Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. So the only people who were being baptized were uh, Gentiles who were turning to God, and then they would wash the stinking Gentile off of them. I'm not kidding. That was the mentality, washing your sinful life off of you. When John the Baptist showed up, what he said was, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, it's not only the Gentiles that need to wash their stinking sin off of them, but you Jews need to wash the stinking sin off of you too. And that's the reason his message was so controversial, is John the Baptist was saying, you guys, you Jews, you've you got to be washed too. So when Jesus goes down to the baptism, water to be baptized, what he does is he identifies with all of us, even though Jesus had no sins to wash off of him, he identifies with us. We read it in Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And then after his baptism, something happens. It says, and as he was praying, so apparently after Jesus is baptized in the water, he's standing there praying and, and that's when the next thing happened. I want you to see that it didn't happen at the baptism, the dove didn't come down. It was as he was praying afterwards. There's a couple things I want you to notice as you read through the book of Luke. Uh, I would like you to make note of them because if you're reading Luke, you're reading Acts, there are two volumes of the same work. So there are two volumes. And those volumes are actually speaking about one ongoing theme. And one of those I would like you to, when you're reading the book of Luke, underline or circle or highlight all the times you 
you read about Jesus praying. It's very important. We're going to talk, we're actually going to spend a Sunday just talking about that. Something else that you do need to know is that there's a lot of messages in Luke and Acts about being filled with the Spirit. There's a lot about the Holy Spirit, and I would encourage you also to take note of those. Maybe we can have a time to talk about that as well. All right? <clears throat> that being said, um, as he was praying, heaven opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, uh, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So... Um, the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily like a dove. Something actually happened when Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Um, if I can go Pentecostal on you for a second, because I am a Pentecostal, I think one of the issues we, I have with Pentecostals, the way we talk, is we've made everything about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit rather than the power of the Spirit. Uh, we made it about what happens rather than what happens. And uh, that's my issue with Pentecostal theology. Even though I am a Pentecostal, I have this problem. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, something's going to happen. But what we've done is we've focused on what happens rather than something happening. And what, what I'd really like to say is, if that you think you're filled with the Spirit or you think you have the power of the Spirit, but nothing ever happened, you're probably not filled with the Spirit. Because what happened in this moment, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus in the form of a dove. There was a manifestation. You know what? You know what my mom used to say? Well, actually, before I get to what my mom used to say, let me tell you what happened. All right? My wife wanted Christmas lights. And you see the attitude that I have. My wife wanted Christmas lights. The problem with that is you've got to go outside in the winter to put up Christmas lights. And I don't like going outside to do things in the winter. All right? I'm a sissy. So here I am. Uh, I go to plug it in, go to plug the lights in. They don't work. You know why they don't work? The GFI plug is bad. So with the attitude, I get the GFI plug and the attitude's going. I think I turned off the right breaker. Are y'all following me? Y'all know where I'm headed? I think I turned off the right breaker, but I didn't turn off the right breaker. So I go out there in the cold <clears throat> with an attitude, unscrewing the plug, and I hit both the positive and the negatives. And of course, I just sat there and said, wow, that was a mistake. <laughs> no? There was a reaction, wasn't there? There might have been some words spoken that weren't holy. That is not the Holy Spirit coming out of me. That was other spirit. Anyway, come on. What's going on in that moment? I, when I hit the power, what did I do? I reacted. When you encounter God's power and you encounter the power of the Spirit, there will be a reaction in you. My mom used to say, we need more Christians that plug in, stick their finger in the Holy Ghost light socket, is what my mommy used to say. Because if you stick your finger in the Holy Ghost light socket, things are going to change, and you will behave in a certain way. Uh, and what happened is, there was a Holy Ghost moment. He's filled with the Spirit. Um, would you pray with me to be filled with the Spirit? As you're reading through Luke, would you like read your little portion of Scripture and then pray this prayer with me? I tell you what, this is the prayer I try to teach you. It's one I do regularly. It's like this. Anybody ever wake up in the morning and feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders? 
You ever feel like you've got more today than I know how to do and I can't do it and I can't raise these kids and I can't pay the bills and I can't do my job and I can't, I can't, blah, blah, blah. And you wake up and you're in the shower and like 40,000 things going through your head. Am I the only person that does that? No, you do it too, all right? So here's what I like to do in prayer. I like to take my hands like this, filled with all of that stuff. I take all of that stuff that's filled in my hands and I like to do this right here. Okay, God, what did I just do? What can I hold in my hands like this? Nothing. So I pray this prayer. Okay, God, it's all yours. All my sin, all my weakness, all the things I need to do, I can't do. Now, now, now that it's all empty, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and would you help me do today what you need me to do? You know, the pretty simple prayer, right? Just take a couple of seconds. Oops, oops, it filled back up again. Get off there. You're stuck. God, take this stuff. Now fill me, Holy Spirit. Give me what I need. I'm going to invite you for the next 90 days to pray that prayer with me. Can y'all do it? Can we do it? Come on, everybody, take your hands like this. Come on, do it, do it. All right, you got all your stuff, your unforgiveness, your sin, your doubt, your overwhelmed bills you can't pay. Right now, just say, God, I release it all. All right, now flip them back over. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me what I need. There you go. That's pretty easy, isn't it? You know, if you pray that prayer, God might just take you up on it. All right, so notice what happens. Jesus is baptized, and at his baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven. And when he speaks, he says, You are my son. Whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. He makes three statements. I want to talk to you about those three statements. I'm going to do this super quick. Those three statements are statements that you need to hear from God. But, by the way, what had Jesus done up to this moment? Nothing, really. No miracles, no sermons, no nothing. The only thing you know about him, you know two things about him. You know what two things you know about him? He obeyed his mom and dad. Correct? He went home and was submissive to him. Read it in Luke chapter 2. And you know what else you know about him? He obeyed God by being baptized. So we have history of Jesus showing his obedience. So the three statements are identity. You are my son. You are my son. Uh, the first thing God wants to speak to us all is, I believe God wants to speak these same words to us. You're my son, you're my daughter. Identity. Jesus' identity was not in his thoughts about himself, but who God says this was. His identity was found in God calling him his son. And if you want to be healthy, make sure your identity is in who God says you are, not who this world says you are, or even who say you say you are. Second thing is, he had security. I love you. He knew God loved him. Knew God loved him. God told him, I love you. That's security to his soul. Now, I have a security gland. You can't find an MRI, but it's about that big around. And you let something crazy happen, and it starts spasming, right? That's my security gland. Now, my wife has a security gland. It's about this big around. And you know, do you know what I love you says? God says, regardless of what you do or don't do, I love you. That gives security to your soul. And I want you to know something. If you're in this space today, God loves you. God loves you. You can have security in the love of God. He loves you. But the third thing is, he puts responsibility on Jesus by saying, I'm proud of you. And what's he proud of him for? Not for the miracles, not for the teachings. What's he proud of him for? Obedience. 
obedient. Jesus had obeyed in the past, so God knew he would obey in the future. I'm proud of you because you have done what I've asked, so I know you will do what I ask. I think you need to catch that because uh, there are some of you, God might not say I'm proud of you because you haven't been obedient in the little things he's told you to do. And if you want God to say I'm proud of you, you obey to do what you know he's telling you to do. And that way he can have confidence in you to do in the future. So, Matthew uh, 3, 14 and 15, what did he do? G John deterred him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus was baptized because it was the right thing to do, the obedient thing to do. And God says, I'm proud of you. And then the last thing is the purpose of baptism. Why they baptize? We talked about that. The water washing away the sins. Submersion. The reason we submerse people rather than sprinkle them is because it's actually your baptism is actually your funeral. Because when you were in your sins, you died in your sins. Romans, I believe Romans chapter 6, 4 says we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So when you died, when you accept Jesus, you become dead. And we hold your baptism is your funeral. And we also say, celebrating your birthday because when you come up out of the water you are resurrected raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too may live a life so baptism is a spiritual symbolism of what's happened inside of you I died to my old sin my old man and I am now alive through Jesus and we had a bunch of people do this recently and I thought it'd be appropriate to celebrate this blast we had on new on uh, good Friday so I believe we've got a video scheduled to be baptized and my staff talked me into saying hey why don't you just ask if anybody wants to be baptized come on up it was a cool night and there were seven people came right up that started getting up one at a time coming up we baptized seven other people so we baptized ten people that night it was awesome and that was a high moment that was an awesome moment 
And, um, uh, you know, what happened to Jesus after his baptism, that was a high moment. God spoke. I mean, come on, God says, I'm proud of you. That's a good moment. And I want you to notice what happened in Luke chapter 4. Immediately what happened. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Who led him out there? The same Holy Spirit that just filled him led him now into the temptation which is the low moment in his life. He was led into temptation. So he goes from this high moment to a low moment. And the first thing we need to realize is that temptation isn't always a bad thing. Um, God uses temptation because how would you know you can win if you never fight anything? Some of you want to be victors in Jesus, but you don't want to overcome anything. Uh, Job, you remember the story of Job? He was attacked right? Satan attacked him. His physical body took away all his stuff. And it says, even with his life destroyed, he refused to sin against God. And it says in the scripture that he overcame. How about Joseph? Joseph was sold as a slave. And then if if that's not bad enough, he then is thrown into prison because he did the right thing. So he went from slave to prisoner, but yet he overcame. And we know Daniel, he was in a foreign land and thrown to the lions, you know, because he obeyed, but yet he overcame. And we know all of these people's stories because they overcame the temptation. And if you want a story worth telling, you've got to go through something. Stories worth telling don't happen unless you go through something. So um, I, I just wanted to say this about you no matter what the temptation that comes your way, you can overcome. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No t- temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, one of my issues with Christians is we misquote this verse all the time. You ever had anybody tell you, God won't give you more than you can handle? Have you ever heard that? That's a lie. It's a lie. It's not in the Bible. You know, uh, Paul said one time, he said, we have more than we can handle so much so that we're ready to die. Do you know God does allow things to come on you that's more than you can handle? Did you know that? That's why you're part of a church body. In those moments, you need to run to somebody and help them pray and work through so that you got somebody to help you handle what you can't handle by yourself. But God does say that no temptation comes on you that you can't handle. Because God will do what? He will give you a way of escape if you'll take it. Now, I was about 20 years old. I was coming back from uh, Taiwan. I spent the entire summer in Taiwan working on a missions trip. And I was coming back. And these were back in the days. Come on. This was the day, man. You could go to like Honolulu, Hawaii, where my stop off was. And I had like a six-hour layover in Honolulu. And I went to the counter and I said, hey, I got a couple of hundred bucks in my pocket. I'm in Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm not sure I'm ever going to be back. Um, <clears throat> Can we, is there another flight leaving there a few days later? And at the counter, they said, sure, you got four days or three days or whatever it was. I think it was four days. You can just stay here in Hawaii and we will rebook you right there. Now, believe it or not, that used to happen prior to 9-11. So they rebooked me and I'm now a 20-year-old single guy in Honolulu with a pocket full of cash for four days. 
By the time I made it from the airport to my hotel, literally every sin I like was offered to me. <coughs> Who's going to know? And I'm like struggling with this. I know I'm on a mission trip, but man, who's going to know? I mean, all these sins are offered to me now. So I go get a bite. I take a shower. I go to get a bite of food, and I eat food. And on the way to get food, every sin was offered to me again. <laughs> I'm eating my meal. I'm going, this is going to be a rough four days. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not sure how much longer I can handle this. Anybody ever been there? And uh, finally I finish my meal and I walk down to the beach and I'm like, and I get offered again. And uh, I'm sitting on the beach, a 20-year-old guy with all the passions of a 20-year-old guy. You know what I'm saying? All of them. And they're all offered, yeah, most of them for free. Hmm. Some of them weren't. Some things only come at a cost. And here I am, I'm sitting down on this pier, this levee, <clears throat> and I'm watching the sun go down. I have a little talk with God, and I said, God, you got until the sun goes down. When the sun goes down, all bets are off. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going nuts. Hope my grandkids don't find out about this. Anybody ever been in any place like that? I'm saying, God, you got to help me, because I'm not going to win this fight. I like all that stuff way too much. So guess what? I'm sitting there. Sun gets just to the edge of the water. A dude and two girls walk up to me. And they said, um, hey, would you take our picture? I'm sure, I'll take your picture. I said, what you doing? You're sitting here all by yourself. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here by myself. <clears throat> I'm here by myself. And they said, well, why, why are you by yourself? I said, well, you know, I just had a layover and I just stopped and I decided I'd hang out here. And they said, do you have anybody with you? And I, no, no. They said, well, why don't you hang out with us? Okay. Come to find out, they were all three Christians, and their version of hang out meant we did godly things. <laughs> and I know all that, and I tell you that story today because I didn't do what I wanted to do. I did what was the right thing to do. Because God will give you a way out you're willing to take it. The question is, are you willing to take it? Jesus, of course, was willing to take it. And I, I love this verse, so let's read Luke 4 too. He says, he, he, 40 days, Jesus in the wilderness, he was there tempted by the devil. There wasn't just three temptations. We're going to summarize them in a bit, but there was temptation for 40 days. And uh, what happened? He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, hold on, biggest understatement in the Bible. Hi, I've been without food for 40 days. Guess what? Now I'm hungry. <laughs> Don't you love how the Bible understates things? All right. So he was hungry. This is the weakest moment. Jesus is physically weak, and Satan comes to tempt him with the big three. And there are three categories of the temptation we're going to talk about real quick. The first temptation category is the lust of the flesh. Now these are in 1 John 2.16, uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, and they correspond with these three temptations Jesus uh, is dealing with, the lust of the flesh. John 4.3, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So ask a very simple question, could Jesus have turned the stone into bread? 
Well, a little later, he's going to feed 500 people with five loaves, right? So he has the ability to make bread out of nowhere, apparently, right? Right? So he could have done it. So, he's, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He could have done it. But he knows something. Jesus noticed something. Anybody ever been hungry? Really, really, really hungry? Like yesterday, I was famished. And then I ate dinner. Right? So, I haven't gotten hungry since, right? No? You know, there's something about your flesh. That if you please or satisfy your flesh, hunger, you know, you're thirsty, you get a big drink, you'll never be thirsty again, right? No? You're going to be thirsty again. You're going to get hungry again. You have sexual needs. You're going to have those again. Everything that you have with your flesh, you can never satisfy your flesh. Even if you give in to it, you will never satisfy your flesh. It always will want more. And Jesus knows that giving in to your flesh never satisfies it. So he answers, Luke 4, 4. It is written, man doesn't live on bread alone. There's something more than bread. There's more than just feeding this flesh. He was quoting the scripture. He's uh, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna. Neither you or your ancestors had known to teach you. What does he teach you? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the real sustenance here is not to feed your flesh, but to feed your soul. And a lot of us, we're real worried about our flesh all the time. We want to satisfy our flesh. But what you really need to worry about is feeding your soul. Um, you know, Jesus learned this lesson. One day he was at a well. He was hanging out at the well. And a woman comes up to get some water. And Jesus says to her, hey, uh, you, you know, give me a drink. And they have this conversation. You read about it. It's John chapter 4. Now what happens is after they have this conversation, he's talking to her about him being the Messiah. He reveals himself as the Messiah. She goes into town, brings back a bunch of people. And Jesus starts teaching them. And the disciples had gone into town to buy food. And they come back and they bring the food. And they say, hey, Jesus, food, eat. And he says, what did he say? It's in John 4, 32. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Because what really satisfies your flesh is when your soul is satisfied and it moves out, your flesh can handle stuff if your soul is full. And the problem I have with so many of us is we spend all of our time taking care of our flesh but never feeding our souls. And Jesus teaches us that if you want to live a life overcoming the temptations of this life, you don't try to whip your flesh into line. You feed your soul first, and then your flesh will follow. Because Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. So how do you strengthen it? You feed your soul on the word of God. All right, second thing, lust of the eye. The next temptation was to attract Jesus to the power and the prestige and the promises of fulfillment by having stuff that you can see and observe. So if you will, it's the allure of more. I know you've never fell into that one, but I'm an American. I get 10,000 images a day telling me, messages a day telling me that more will satisfy me. You know, that's what advertisers do. 
They make you feel uncomfortable with what you have, so you will want their product so that you will feel comfortable. And I, I just want you to know that the allure of more will never satisfy you. You will never be satisfied by more. Luke chapter 4 verse 5. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And this is sort of funny to me. Jesus goes up on the hill and the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of these kingdoms. I'm going to give you all of these kingdoms with their authority and splendor. And then he says this line, it's been given to me. And then he says, and I can give it to anyone I wish. Now, there's a problem with this. The devil's writing checks. His bank, hold on, hold on, hold on. A check is a rectangular piece of paper <laughs> that when you write on it, the, your, you know, where you want it to go in the amount and you sign it, their bank takes it as a draft and they want to take money out of your account. I know it's not Venmo, but it is a check and they do exist. All right. The devil, though, is writing a check he can't cash. Do you know he can't cash that check? You know why? He said, all of the kingdoms of the world are mine. Really? I thought Psalm 24.1 said this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All the people, everything. It's all God's. It's all God's. Who does not own it? The devil. Can he give it to Jesus? No. Do you know why he can't give it to Jesus? It ain't his. So he's telling the owner, I'm going to give you what you own. Can I tell you something about the devil real quick? Can I just talk to you about his nature? The devil's a liar. Did you know the devil's a liar? So it says in John 8, 44, there, uh, he, speaking of Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. So... Satan's native language is lying. For he's a liar and the father of all lies. Which is one of the reasons I value truth so highly is because the devil is a liar. So you know I learned something years ago. If the devil tells me I'm a failure, he's a liar. I'm not a failure. If the devil tells me I can't win, come on. He's a liar. What does that mean? I can win. You will never do that. Oh, yeah? You're a liar. I will. I know if the devil tells me that nothing can happen or that I'm a loser or that this sin will make you happy or that if I'll sell out my morals, I will advance. I know he's a liar. He's a liar. So if he tells me that, I know the opposite's true. Some of you listen to the devil and believe in his lies. Stop it. All right. So how did Jesus respond to the devil telling him, I'll give you what isn't mine to give? <laughs> Luke 8, 4, or 4, 8, he says, it is written. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Can I give you my paraphrase of that? There's only one God and devil, you ain't him. <laughs> and you got to say that with a head bob. Because that needs a head bob. There's only one God and devil, you ain't him. 
Deuteronomy, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, take your oaths only in his name. So Jesus' answer is, devotion to God's desire for my life trumps my desires for my life. You think more is going to get you satisfied? Anybody ever want a new vehicle? Like, you want a new vehicle, the one you have doesn't work, right? And you want a new one. And so you pick out the one you want, and everywhere you go now, you, it's like that's the only car you see. Oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. Anybody yeah. other than me? And then you go, and you get your vehicle, your new or new-to-you vehicle, and you're so proud of it. We got one last year. I mean, you know, used one, but come on, it's new to us. And my wife was so happy, and she's like spit-shining it for a week. for a week what happens if that would satisfy you then six months later it wouldn't be as dirty as it is now right because you get used to it and I just want you to know that more will never satisfy you more will never satisfy you what you need to do is realize that worshiping the Lord your God will satisfy you all right third third temptation here is the pride of life the last temptation is focused on a self-importance. This is the most intriguing to me. I understand inherently. I, I'm like right there. I understand lust of the flesh. Come on. I live there, right? I understand lust of the eye. I want more all the time, right? Anybody else with me? I get to this pride of life. It gets ambivalent. I'm trying to figure out the, what it means. Luke 4, 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, which is 164 feet above the floor of the temple. And if you go off the other way, it's 450 feet to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. So the devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And I want you to notice what he does. What does the devil do? He quotes scripture because the devil knows the Bible. And he's going to twist it just a little bit. Just a little because the devil said what? Liar. Liar. So he's going to twist it just a little bit. And he says to him, direct quote, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not even strike your foot on a stone. Go ahead, Jesus, jump off. You want to quote God's word to me? God's word says you jump off. He's going to protect you. And what he's appealing to is this inward security gland we all have. We want the devil to protect us. We want God to, no, wrong. We want God to protect us. We want to be protected. We don't want anything. Anybody ever pray Psalm 91 over your kids? God, keep my kids from all. Don't pray that for them. You keep them from all difficulties in life. They're never going to have any character. No, no, no. It, there's a promise here, and the promise is, in context, this is a prayer of David. In context, it's a prayer. It's not a promise. In context, David is pouring out his heart to God, and he's asking in context for these things to happen, and it is a prayer and a dialogue with God. Knowing that, you ready for the core of Psalm 91? Knowing that, that God will never allow anything to hit you that is outside of his care and outside of your ability to be an overcomer. In context, so what Satan is doing is he's sort of twisting it. And what he's, what he's telling Jesus, take a shortcut. 
go up on the temple and jump off and float right down to the ground, you know, so all the people at the temple can see you, so you won't have to do, if God's going to protect you, let him protect you now, that way you don't have to do the cross later. Because if he misapplies this verse now, he's going to misapply it later too. Hold on. Jesus knew the reason he came into this world. It's there. It's in Mark chapter 10 verse 45. 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. So what the devil's telling him basically is if you will, if you'll just take this verse out of context, come on. I see people do this all the time. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Anybody ever heard that one quoted? Do you know what the context of that verse is? They were giving to a missionary. They were sacrificing out of their poverty to support somebody. And he says, God will take care of you because you are sacrificially giving. We don't like that part of the verse now, do we? We just want God to provide, not us actually have to do something first. Oh, come on, guys. We taking the Bible out of context all the time and telling God that he's got to do something, and that's how the devil handled Scripture. All right, y'all with me here? All right, good. Let's finish this up then. So, Satan is trying to tell Jesus, you don't have to suffer. God will take care of you. But Jesus is saying... The cross will happen to me, therefore I'm willing to suffer. And I'm not going to shortcut God's will because I am a team player in this for the team. I'm not in this for me. By the way, I, I'm going to show you what the pride of life looks like when you cease to be a part of God's team and it's all about you. And this one is incredibly painful to me because I am a huge fan of the team that Leon Lett played for. Can we play, show this video? Give you the rest of it after this play. Fourth down and six, and right fumbles, picked up by Leon Lett. Can he go all the way? It's a 60-yard run. He's being chased by BB. Look at him showboating. Did he get across? No, they are not. That's going to be a touchback to Buffalo. There, there's no call yet, though. He has not marked touchdown. It was knocked out of his hands and went out of bounds in the end zone. Just see him. Give it to Buffalo at the 20. And the call by hand. The play has been ruled. Play. The fumble went forward through the end zone and out of the end zone, creating a touchback. Buffalo's ball, first and ten. Leon Lett would have scored, but he slowed down to celebrate at the five-yard line, and when he did, Don Beebe, hustling, stripped it away. Beebe is the best. There you go. That's Buffalo good. Bill. All right. What's he doing? I am so awesome. I am so awesome. What happens? He gets it knocked out of his hand. It's the pride of life. The pride of life is that moment where you say, I'm more important than my Dallas Cowboys winning this game. <laughs> when the individual becomes more important than the team, that's when you know that you're living in the pride of life. Be careful that you don't put your protection, your pleasure, your thoughts of how life should go above God's thoughts. Years ago, I was a youth pastor in a little small country town, Wilmington, Ohio, 
and uh, I had a group of kids that I was going to take to Detroit to go on a missions trip. And when the parents of those kids heard that I was taking them to Detroit, that evil town, and it's so dangerous, they all, I had total upheaval. And they're like, you're not taking our kids there. None of our kids are going to go, blah, blah, blah. So guess what? We didn't take the missions trip to Detroit because it was too dangerous for the kids. Two of those kids, about three months later, took me and my wife where they had started hanging out at a crack house in Cincinnati. They wanted to see... What was so dangerous in the inner city that they couldn't go to it? So the parents took away an opportunity for ministry and their kids went and hung out of worse places because the pride of life, something bad might happen to my kids and therefore something worse happened to their kids. Come on, we were in China. Me and my wife. And uh, we were at this hotel, and they warned us at this hotel. Give me three minutes, I'll be done, all right? We're at this hotel, and uh, um, they, my wife goes to move a, a stool, and, and when she moves the stool, a bug drops on the floor. I'm not talking about a crawly bug. I'm talking a listening device bug. Well, I'm in the shower, and I get out of the shower, and she's like... <laughs> You know, because she had taken it, put it on the counter, and turned a glass over the top of it. And she's showing me the bug, and I'm like there, and I'm thinking, they got cameras in here too. If they do, you do not want to see the video. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, we weren't happy. We're, we're scared. You know, we knew, you know, come on, it's a listening device in our room. We knew they were doing it. We'd been told, don't talk about anything about God in your rooms. We were told this stuff, and now we have facts right here in front of us that we're being listened to and that they're monitoring our actions, all right? So the very next day, guess where we're supposed to go? Church. Oh, by the way, not a church like everybody else, not like this, no. A home church that's an underground church. So they put us in a, in a uh, taxi and the guy with us tells the taxi driver an address to take us to. We go to the address, they drop us off. Somebody meets us, mocks us down the corner, around the corner, and down around. And we're just both flipping out because, you know, that we know they're listening to us. We know, don't know if they're following us. We don't know what we said. We don't know. And we're going to go to this church that's illegal. And we already know the pastor's been in jail multiple times. Several members have been in jail. We know that they have lost their jobs. We know that... Well, we know this is not a healthy, safe environment. And we're flipping out. So we go through the door, like tippy-toeing through the door, and we close the door behind us. And they're like, oh, join us. And they start singing. They weren't singing. They were singing! Yeah. Top of their voice. We're like, shh. <laughs> oh, come on. Do you... Do, you know, I'm one to pray Psalm 91. God, keep me from dashing my foot against a stone. And what they're doing, the people whose lives are on the line are bold. Because they would rather worship God and honor God with their lives and do what's right, even if it costs them. The pride of life. Where did you come up with this idea that I'm going to follow Jesus and everything's going to be rosy, peachy cream? 
Wherever you come up with that idea, somebody lied to you. Read Insanity of God. Read the book. Do you know how many people have died for the faith? Your Christianity is going to cost you something if you really live it. Where you came up with this idea that it's all going to go perfect, wherever it is, oh, I know where that came from. The same guy that lied to Jesus and told him he owned all the world. Your Christianity is going to cost you something, but you know what else I know? I know this. Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't put God to your test. In other words, Jesus said, I trust God with my life completely. So why did we, our band's going to come out. We're going we're to conclude with this song. I, w- I want to pray a blessing over you. Hebrews 2.18. Once again, Hebrews 2.18. Do you know what it says? Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And whatever you're going through, if it's the lust of the flesh, if it's the lust of your eyes wanting more, or it's the pride of life thinking that, you know, my life's got to be perfect and nothing bad's ever supposed to happen to me. If Jesus was tempted, you're going to be tempted that way too. There's something, though, I do know about Jesus. He overcame. And you know what I know what God's will for you is? That you would overcome. He made you to win, not to lose. If your life is hid in Christ through every temptation, through every struggle, through every fight, you are made to be an overcomer, a winner in Christ. And uh, I know we prayed this already today, but if, there, if you're sitting in this room today and you've got this uh, moment that you're just going through a little bit of a rough time and maybe you're being tempted your flesh, your pride, or your eyes wanting more. If you're being tempted and you would like to overcome, I'd like to pray with you. You just lift your hand really high. I want to pray with you. Yeah. Yeah, around this room, there are people, hands up, mine's up. I got two of them. I'll throw a leg up too. Right? Jesus, you see everybody lifted their hand. Would you help us win? God, help us win. Help us to be faithful like Jesus. Uh, because he was faithful in the little things. You said, with you, I am pleased. And that was a a promise. Because you overcame in the little stuff, you were going to overcome in the big stuff. And some of these problems we're struggling with, they're little. And God, I pray you give them the power to overcome the little stuff so that they can win the big stuff. God, there are some things going on today. There's some big stuff. I would like you to give us the power to overcome the big stuff too. And to win. And to be your victor. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Hey, I believe, uh, Johnny, you man in the table today? If you're in this space today and you'd like to give your heart to Jesus Christ, you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior, you'd like to do it today. There's a guy standing right back there. He's ugly, but drive by and see him anyway. I love you, Johnny. Uh, you can drive by and see him and pray with him, and he's going to tell you the next steps and uh, help you follow Jesus Christ with all your heart. If you want somebody to pray with you too, he's back there praying with you. Would you stand? And we're going to sing this song as a conclusion today. I thought there was no better conclusion than this. Go for it.